Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Simon Sweetman. This is episode 223. I had a conversation with Lance Phillip. He is a Wellington-based uh, drummer, percussionist, and educator, a drum teacher. He's been at the Massey School of Music and now Victoria University for, for years, a quarter century or so. Um, he's played with, he's got a long-standing relationship with Roger Fox and his uh, big band and various ensembles. And uh, he's done everything from orchestra work to playing in the uh, in the in the band for things like dancing with the stars um, you know doing TV work doing ads doing doing sessions um, and as I say his main thing really is as a teacher now I met Lance a couple of years ago I always knew who he was we met very briefly uh, when I interviewed Steve Gadd and he was looking after Steve when he was in the country and we sort of had a quick chat then and said, you know, we, we need to really catch up and, and have a hang because we both love drums and drumming and, and we've never really talked. And so since then, I said to him, actually, man, I need to do a podcast with you. You've got some stories. And so since then, we've connected a little bit online and uh, and finally it was the time to sit down and have a chat. So we did this a couple of weeks ago. I went up to his uh, office and studio up at the university and look, you know, let's be clear, this is a big nerdy drum chat. We talk a lot about drums in this, that's what it's about. We talk about favourite drummers and drumming styles and uh, we talk about Lance's life and his dedication to it. This has been his his life, his job, this is what he's done. He went to America and studied, met some of his heroes, met, some, met and watched some of the all-time greats play, attended clinics, came back to New Zealand with that information and set up teaching full-time here and, and playing on the side. I was interested in that and interested in the passion that drives him. Also, uh, I'll give a plug here, it seems the right time to give a plug for, I compiled an ebook recently of uh, some of the essays I've written about drumming. I, had a, I have a series on my side off the tracks called Drummers You Just Can't Beat where I sort of write about favourite drummers and influential drummers. That's all branded together now as an ebook that you can purchase on Amazon. Uh, also called Drummers You Just Can't Beat and we do mention that in this episode because Lance had, had very kindly bought a copy of it early and read it and um, and we have a brief chat about that so I thought what better episode to, to mention that in than here um, yeah I love this conversation obviously because I'm a giant big drum nerd and uh, and I had a lot of fun with this and, and Lance has got some uh, wonderful stories and some uh, very good insight into discipline and um and everything around drums. He's got great taste as a player and in the players that he likes, of course. Uh, Steve Gadd is basically his all-time drumming hero and he got to meet him. I mean, what better story than that? Um, this is episode 223 of Sweetman Podcast, me talking all things drums with Lance Phillip. So I'm sitting here in your drum room. Yeah. Is that what it's called? Your office? Yeah, yeah, it's my office. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, the drum room. Yeah. And you've been here for a few years, but you've had a version of this for a lot longer. Yeah, yeah. So 2016 was when um, the jazz program shifted up from uh, Massey University to Victoria. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so prior to that, I had a version of this um, from 1998, I think, was when, we, when Wellington Polytech became Massey University. Yeah. Yeah, and yep. so I've, I've I've actually been in the jazz program since 1993. Yeah, first as a as an when you call it teacher. the jazz program, it sounds a bit like a, yeah you know, recovery. It does, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, I suppose um, it is in a way. I, I don't know what we call it. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, well, it was. It's had many different names, but yes. I was I was a student 
when it was when it was called the Wellington Polytechnic Conservatorium yeah. of Music. Yeah. So I did that from 1986 to the end of 88, mm. and then had a year off playing in a covers band, and moved to LA in 1990, came back, was actually teaching in the Hawke's Bay mm. in 91 and 92, and then um, got asked to start teaching alongside with Roger Sellers in, in 1993, um, mainly teaching big band type Gosh, you would have been teaching in the Hawke's Bay right around the time I stopped getting lessons in the oh, Hawke's Bay. Right, okay. I, I yeah. only got lessons yeah. for about a year, and right. I, I went through, well, the school went, the program went through a couple of different teachers, and there'll be people right. you know. The first drum teacher I had was Race McLeod. Right. I and never got to meet him. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so he had played in right. a band with my dad uh, years ago. Right, my dad's right, an right. ex-musician. but yeah. um, So that was kind of fun. And then uh, was it... Jeff Bainbridge and then Cameron Budge. Right. Yeah, yeah, I, who's still I, I in the Bay yes, and yes, you'll I know. Knew Cameron Budge. I think yeah. Joe Atkinson, I think, was yeah. another guy yeah. that was that was teaching. So I sort of um, came back from the States. My my brother in law was was living in Hastings. Oh, I think there's some spots there and so I, I knew um, Roger Stevenson from uh, yeah. Havelock North High School. Yeah, so he, was, he so oh, he yeah. gave me a couple of hours there. I was it um, you know, I wound up Hastings boys, Hastings girls, and and Hastings Roger intermediate. Was, Roger was a mainstay of Havelock Royal High School. Yeah. he was. I mean, that's where I went. So oh right. Yeah. And I, you know, played yeah. played sport with his son and right, know right. the family. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But Roger was yeah. a legend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely, an inspiration. Mm. And uh, so, I was fortunate to do a year there. Then I started to get work back here in Wellington, but I continued sort of commuting weekly. That was right. a crazy year in yeah. 1992. Commuting. <laughs> yeah. Playing in, um, at the time, it uh, was a place called the Soul Bar in the Oaks. Yep. And it was with um, Billy Watkins and the Blue Flames. So I was yep. doing that for that year. And so then by 93, I started to um, get more enough work to kind of like mm. move back here and continue working. Well, so, well let's go all yeah. the way back because, mm. cause, I mean, we know each other, but we don't know mm. each other super well. But yeah. we've, 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 I, I've seen you play right. heaps, right. and we've corresponded a few times. And yeah. then in the last couple of years, we've, we've been at gigs yeah. together, and we've, you know, we, yeah. you sat in the room when I helped uh, Jesse Mulligan interview Steve Gadd, yeah, yeah. and we'll talk about that a bit later yeah. on because you spend a lot of time with yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've amazing. gotten to know each other a little bit, and and obviously we have a, an interest in drums, but you, it is your life. Yeah, yeah. You are, Absolutely. you are, and have been a professional for a long time. Yeah. And I'm interested to know, I guess, uh, a little bit about you and how that how that happened. Yeah. Are you a Wellingtonian, pretty much? No, I know well, you were born overseas. Yeah, but. Well, believe it or not, um, raised in, <laughs> in Upper Hutt. Right. <laughs> but actually, um, confession time, I actually uh, was born in the US. Mm. My, my parents are um, American citizens. And um, so I, I was born in San Jose, California, 1970, when I was two years old. They decided to see what New Zealand was all about, just for a change, and weren't thinking of staying, but they wound up staying. So, wow, right. um, my mother is a violin teacher, um, and her father, my grandfather, was a professional trumpet player. First of all, in the um, the U.S. Army Cavalry, if you can believe that, on mm. horseback, and then the um, the U.S. Coast Guard band. So, and then he became a you know, trumpet teacher. So I'm kind of a third generation mm. music teacher. Definitely 
in the genetics there yeah, to, be a, yeah. to be a musician. Um, no one else in the family was a, was a drummer or anything like that, but um, have got strong Scottish roots as well, and so I was exposed to hearing um, um, Highland pipe yep. band music at an yep. early age, very inspired by the sound of the snare drum um, at that sort of point, and, and my dad decided to um, take up the bagpipes and join the upper hut pipe band and all that sort of thing, so I was really into that. Mother was in orchestras, playing lead violin and that sort of thing, so mm. I was sort of hauled along to all that sort of orchestral kind of stuff, and and um, they were also into, uh, I guess you would say, West Coast jazz, yeah. so they had quite the album collection of the Dave Brubeck Quartet and, and things like that. Mm. My father was trombonist as well, He um, so he played in the orchestra, that's where he met my mother. and. Um, so he had some trombone records, everything from Glenn Miller through to J.J. Johnson. Yeah. And, and um, so they had a bit of a, an eclectic record collection, but very kind of American compared mm. to what mm. other neighbours would have in the yeah, record yeah, collection yeah, yeah, in Upper Hutt, you know. Yeah. So, um, so I was sort of influenced by, by classical um, music, a little bit of Scottish pipe music. And, what was uh, the, you know. do you remember, what was the, because I mean you yeah. just you just arrived here as a toddler so yeah. this is home, but yeah. what was their assimilation and culture shock like? Did that, was that um, apparent to you at all? Not really, they really, I think they really, um, they obviously were, liked it because they stayed. They, yeah they stayed and they've lived in the same address since they moved here, it's right. crazy. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think they just made friends with people really quickly. Um, they were, everyone our street was newish. It had similar aged um, people all living there, you know. So they just sort of fit in really, really well. I I don't really know why they um, why they didn't want to go back to America. Yeah. But I guess in 1970, there was a lot of changes. That they'd come from, you know, mm. San Jose, which is silicon valley and things were really changing mm. there in a way that they uh, they kind of thought new zealand was kind of like an older version of america you know at, at a certain point in its mm. history you know mm. so, yeah i suppose yeah i suppose new zealand in the very early 70s was yeah. was america in the 50s exactly. or that was their yeah. ideal exactly yeah. yeah yeah so um for for what it was it was pretty much white middle class you know mm -hmm. And um, Dad had a full-time job and all that now, sort of thing. So I don't want to make any jokes yeah. about America and where yeah. it's at now, but yeah. but through your life, obviously mm. with the connection to the music, mm. but also with this this heritage, it's your mm. country of birth. Did, did you become aware of a pull to go back there? Like, has it been a yeah a thing I, in your life that you're conscious of? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, and that's like pretty much just jumping forward. Nineteen. 90 was when I moved back to America I'd sort of thought I've at that point in my life it was like I had figured that I had played in all the things that that were at the highest level in New Zealand yeah and I thought all right I want to have a crack at going back to America because I still had a, a US passport I thought you know a lot of people aspired to go to America mm. and, and make a living in, in this place where all this great music where is. the session musicians yeah, were that's yeah, right, yeah, you know? yeah. and and I had, you know I was you know an avid reader of the the modern drummer magazine mm -hmm. and you'd be looking at that sort of thing and I so I'd sort of figured out yeah I want to move to LA that's where all my favorite players are from and that's kind of the scene 
I wanted to get into the movie industry and recording kind of situation. So I moved to LA, I went to the, the Grove School of Music, um, and, um, and I got to meet all those people that I dreamed of meeting and all mm. that sort of thing. But then the reality was that uh, I was one of thousands of other drummers there that all had the same idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was a good, good thing. But, but yeah, so my, uh, there was that draw to go back to America, yeah. but it was definitely um, the point where I thought, hmm, actually... New Zealand has got so much potential. It's all all the potential that that um, has already been realised in America. They don't need another drummer. Mm -hmm. New Zealand needs another drummer that could kind of like help foster the whole scene and build it up. Yeah. So that was that was my epiphany there in 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 LA was mm. to um to realise wow what they've got going on here is not happening in New Zealand, I could bring something back and really be a part of that, you know, seeing mm. something um, happen. And so that has happened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and, um, and, and I do want to get into that with you because yeah. because I love talking to teachers, I think, they're, and coaches, I think they're, uh, it's such an important, fascinating um, aspect, like it's such an important mindset mm. only a, per a particular person can do. But mm. you have... Um, I don't want to say selflessly because you put so much of yourself into it mm. so that's not quite right but you do take a back seat to fostering other people's talent and mm. you know we can do a roll call of the great drummers that have mm. studied under you mm. come to you for yeah. even just passing yeah, yeah. Um, wisdom there are, and we'll mm. get into that but mm. but where do you, so where do you when do you connect with the drums let's go back again to this upper hut yeah well um, I think pipe bands and yeah, the snare I'll, drum and then what happens yeah I was I was obviously too little to carry yeah. one of those big pipe band drums and you know didn't have any technical skill to actually do any of that but it was like you know I wanted to be in that um, next best thing was playing in the brass band yeah. you know so I could be involved in the brass band um, so I joined I joined the Upper Hutt Brass Band, Junior Brass Band, and, and was involved in that for a very long time. And that that did definitely as a drummer, like, as a drummer, yeah, yeah. That, that definitely. Has that always and only been the thing, really. Like, have you dabbled uh, much with other instruments? No, I definitely didn't want to play the violin. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the trombone was not really inspired by that. At one yeah. point, I thought, oh, the saxophone looks pretty cool. Yeah. But um, my parents were going, um, no, can't afford that. And um, so I just sort of hung in there with the drums. It was probably age eight that um, my parents got me some drum lessons with a guy called Ken Oxford who's um, you know was in New Zealand and he was living in Upper Hutt too uh, so and he was in the, the pipe band and he was in the orchestra and so he was he was the person that kind of took me on mm. and tried to teach me how to read music and rudiments and, and all that sort of stuff so he was he was pretty important in that um, Next to that brass band was getting involved in musical theatre. So mm, okay. <laughs> the Upper Hutt Operatic Society yeah. was was the next big sort of jump up, was doing shows. So from age 11, I think, um, I started doing musicals, and, and that's actually where I met my my wife, you know, was through that. She was in the Von Trapp family doing Sound of Music, <laughs> <laughs> playing the drums, you know. Um, so... Um, yeah, musical theatre has actually been 
quite a strong mm. thing. Um, not that I was like really inspired by musical theatre drumming by any mm, any mm. means, but it was definitely um, something to be involved with. My it's parents. One of the- one of the great disciplines, though, I imagine, or one of yeah. the great examples of having to have discipline, right? Like, you, yeah. you're not going to go off book there. Yeah, yeah. It was it was um, definitely more fun than the brass band or playing mm. in an orchestra. <laughs> so mm. it was kind of like the next level up to actually playing in, like, a big band. Uh, yeah, yeah. All right? Yeah. So, I mean, th- those early days, I was also, um, you know, taken to a lot of New Zealand symphony orchestra concerts that my mother had subscriptions to and that sort of thing. And so that's where I first saw um, one of my future teachers, which was Bud Jones. Mm-hmm. And um, and he, at the time, had also formed a group called the New Zealand Jazz Orchestra. And they had an album out in, like, 1973 or something like that. And, and so my parents bought that. And so listening to that was a huge inspiration. At Somebody who was, like, four or five years old listening to that was like, my gosh, who's this drummer? And, mm. and my parents said, oh, well, you have to come along to the orchestra and watch Bud Jones, you know? So it was like, from a very early age, you know, um, Bud Jones was a, was a big influence, and of course he's an American drummer. Mm. And um, at the time, he was seen to be the go-to person in the country, one of the main go-to mm. people to, in the country for, for lessons in, in um, both orchestral, jazz, big band you know, and so hearing big band music was was initially through the New Zealand Jazz Orchestra, which was playing Count Basie arrangements mm. and and things like that. So that was a huge influence at that point. Musical theatre was kind of like a stepping stone, mm. and um, so then getting into um, high school, um, my parents finally agreed to. You know, pay for lessons with Bud Jones because I I auditioned for the the first National Youth Jazz Orchestra, um, which I think was in 1983 or something like that, mm. and, and of course I was completely clueless. And um, uh, so that was that was where I actually got to meet Bud Jones and and um, get some you know set mm. up some lessons. And mm. so I was yeah that was that was the beginning of really getting the idea that actually I could could do this as a living because Bud Jones was making a living playing mm. in the orchestra and he was a jazz drummer as well. Um, but um, I think I started to get paid for doing gigs, even if it was like mm. $20 or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. And in the 80s, that was like $200. Flash you know? cash, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. You know, and other people had paper rounds and delivering milk and things mm. like that and and I was like wow I can make 20 bucks from playing brushes on a snare drum with a couple of other guys in a cafe in Wellington wow you know so mm. that was um that was one of the big things and did you, you know, ever um have another career in mind did you train for anything well, else or even attempt anything else with any sincerity I think I think um every well, I could be wrong, but lots of young boys kind of look up to their dads and think, yeah, I want to do what dad does. Mm-hmm. And so initially, you know... Yeah, dad, I'm desperately trying to make sure my son doesn't. Like, he's, <laughs> he's in that zone at the moment. Oh, right. I'm like, fuck, look to anyone else. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so it was kind of like... Um, anyway, I kind of... You know, you look, I looked at dad and thought, oh, wow, he's, you know, he's making a living... Um, he was a mechanical engineer, so like drawing things. Mm. And, and I've always been 
quite good at drawing and painting and things as well. So that was kind of like, oh yeah, it could be quite good. I can't see how you can make a living doing that. But anyway, um, so high school, you take tech drawing, yeah, okay? Yeah. And I was painfully slow at it, terrible at maths. So um, it was kind of like, <laughs> By the time <laughs> went out the window. <laughs> yeah, by, the, by the time I think I was like fourteen or fifteen, and it came time to make those crunch decisions about yeah. what you were going to take for school cert at the time. Yeah, I was like far out. There's no way I'm going to be a mechanical drafts person. You yeah. know, I just can't. I'm not quick enough at it. But drumming, hmm. And so, um, combination of my parents, Bud Jones, they said, look, actually, you know, you could you could make a good good go at this. You know. Mm. So that's, it was probably when I was 15 and I had to decide what I was going to do for school cert that I kind of made the plunge and said, right, I'm going to be a professional musician. And that was it. You know, school really took a back seat mm. from that point on. Mm. And, and uh, you know, Bud Jones was, was pretty, um, pretty strong about being prepared for your lesson. It wasn't mm -hmm. just a, a casual hang and let's have some drum fun it was like right, you had to hey, do the work oh flip man he was like yeah he, he had some pretty serious name calling if yeah. he hadn't come prepared yeah, so right. it was like, and he was kind of like my mentor so i didn't want to mm. upset him so i really launched into it and um the people that he had that he was teaching you know you would come in for your lesson and sit and wait while he was teaching the guy and he would always be going check this guy out so mm. i'll be going Ooh. You know, so <laughs> yeah, there was there was a lot of motivation and friendly competition to kind of get things going. Mm. Um, I was also in brass band snare drum competitions and things like that. Um, so all of that sort of was feeding me to kind of like head to become a professional. Yeah, I was all already teaching. You know, um, little you know, younger people. Yeah. You know, like I can remember teaching Chris O'Connor wow. in my bedroom in Upper yeah. Hutt, and he'd get dropped off, and we'd have you know, for five dollars or something yeah. like that. You know. And was um, he like? Um, I sort of feel like the first time I saw Chris play, I was like, "There's a guy who probably had that, if not that ability, but that approach to the drums the moment he first sat at them. Was he like that? Yeah. You know, and obviously you get better. Yeah. And he's extraordinary, but... Yeah. Oh, he was he was always really natural. Yeah. I, I don't remember doing too much more than the basic mm. rock beats and some stickings and things mm. like that. And then, of course, you know, I moved off to the, the States and he picked up lessons with Bud Jones, you mm. know, so... Mm. Um, that's kind of what happened there with Chris, you know, and then eventually, uh, I think for one year, when I, oh, I think it was 93 when I started teaching there, that was his final year at, at jazz school, so yeah. I had a little bit to do with him there. But, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, so I started to make a little bit of money teaching, um, and I obviously could see that my mother was making money teaching the yeah, violin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I thought, oh yeah, I can make a little bit of teaching, and... And then I started teaching at itinerant at high schools. I do one school, and then and then by the time I'd left Polytech, um, I spent a whole year just itinerant teaching all around Wellington. And so I knew that you could make some money yeah, from, yeah. from teaching. Yeah, drums. I always had that there. Um, but um, yeah, I was just fortunate that all through that sort of high school leading up 
into mm. polytech I was always offered little gigs and things like that so there was constant reinforcement that yes you know I was good enough to actually do that in lots of different areas too mm, so mm. Um, I was continuing to pursue the any area that was always my thing was I'll play anything as yeah. long as it's paying you know? yeah yeah so it was you know things like musical theater gigs it was it was um, orchestral things and jazz and rock and you know anything I was I was into it you mm, know? Mm. Um, just wanted to be um, a versatile drummer and so um, I guess Steve Gadd was like the the sort of template for what you needed to be I was just going to ask you, you when know? did you start you know outside of Bud Jones when mm. do you start kind of picking up on key you know gr- like I'm looking around the yeah. walls here of all these yeah. photographs of mm. drummers I can name and that you yeah. obviously love but yeah when did you start going oh man okay so the drummer on that record is Steve Gadd yeah. I'm going to find out what he does like yeah. when did you when did you become aware of having drum heroes or just yeah. or just people you liked right well I would say I think that they're obviously influenced by the recordings that my parents had. Yes, so, yeah, so yeah, some yeah. of those people, sure, it was Bud Jones, but then I started to find out about Joe Morello. Yeah, I was going to say, they, they having Dave Brubeck, I the mean, Dave take Brubeck. five is just a, a yeah. staple, right? Like that's Yeah, a, well, funnily enough, my parents didn't even have that particular <laughs> album. Right, right. But they had another one called um, Jazz in the USA, I think it was called, and on that particular album, there's an amazing drum solo that's way beyond... Right. Take five yeah, called yeah. Sounds of the Loop. I don't yeah. know if you've ever heard that no, one, I don't but think I that have. one's just like. <laughs> but Morello is just incredible. Joe Morello. So that that yeah. was just like, oh my gosh, I hadn't even heard. I hadn't even heard of Buddy Rich at that point, right, but I'd yeah, heard of yeah. Joe Morello, and it was like, yeah. so that to me, um, he was a bit of a hero. Um, so other other, I was pretty limited, really. Mm. Like my parents only listened to like the national program, you know, and mm. it was like so. And then I was just totally reliant on what my older sister bought as records. So it was ABBA, it was Queen, yeah. it was Alice Cooper, it was, you know, just whatever boyfriend she had at the time. Mm. It was the, That was the band that she was into. So it was like, oh, ACDC, okay, I'll listen to that, you know. So it was pretty sort of yeah. not what... Like I didn't have... But drums. you listen to music yeah. and you, you are listening for and to the drums almost oh, primarily, yeah. right? Oh, like yeah. you Like a lot of... Yeah drummers or, or anyone relevant to their instrument you spot that oh yeah component absolutely. and you analyze it oh yeah absolutely. could i do that would i do it differently yeah are they yeah. wow you know i didn't realize yeah. that something so simple could sound so great or how the hell do you do that yeah. whatever yeah yeah oh yeah. There, there was still the the wonder and the mystery of, yes. of everything and and everything was like i was into anything that had drums well i you cut know, you off so. then so you yeah. said the, yeah, really one of the guys in terms of versatility, mm. Steve Gadd. So yeah. f- first of all, how did you? How did he come into your world in terms of? Yeah, because well, he's I, on so many things. That's right, and and I was so so naive. I had no idea how many things he was involved yeah. with. But um, it was again just totally isolated by what my parents' albums were and. They belong to this thing called the World Record oh, yeah, Club. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so they get this catalogue, you know. <laughs> yes. And um, 
So for some reason they, they would listen to music late on Radio New Zealand and, and they put on a recording of Bob James. Mm-hmm. And my mother goes, oh, that's nice. It's got some strings in there. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so they start buying every single one of Bob James's <laughs> albums, you know. And so I'm sort of like looking through it and going, oh, yeah, it's Steve Gann. Right, right. You know, yeah, and there yeah, was yeah. a bunch of other drummers yeah, on there yeah, as well. Yeah. So and then he would come up again and again in these yeah, different yeah. albums, and I really kind of liked what he was doing. So I was quite drawn mm. to um, what he was playing, and it was quite a wide range of types of yes. music on some of those early Bob James things, quite yeah. sort of orchestral kind of things, um, as well as sort of funky, yeah, deep uh, fusion the, funk stuff yeah, as well, yeah. yeah. And um, so I was I was influenced by yeah by those recordings with Steve Gadd. And it wasn't until I got the Modern Drummer magazine in the very sort of early 80s um, that I started to learn about all these other drummers. And it was like, oh my gosh, oh, so Steve Gadd's playing on, yeah. you know, all this. And then, and then it's like, oh, I think I've heard that recording. And, and then you start to build mm. up this awareness of like, oh, there's, there's all these other people that I've yeah, never yeah, heard yeah. play, uh, don't have their albums, don't yeah. have access to them. Um, so that was that became the thing was the modern drummer magazine. Yeah. Um, I I think one of the the first issues I bought was the one with Steve Gadd on it. Yeah, know, yeah. Um, not I the very first yeah, one, yeah. nineteen seventy nine, yeah, but yeah. The, like nineteen eighty three or something like that. I so. found a stack of them from the early nineties that I've still got. Right. And um, yeah. yeah, it's funny. Like I've got another issue where he's on the cover. Yeah. And I was thinking like so I mean let's 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 mm. explore Gad mm. for a bit more yeah. because we both met him. Yeah. You um hung out with him. Was that the first time you met him? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah. I mean what was oh, that like? Yeah, I was just like just hearing your story about him and then I, you actually get to yeah. spend significant time with I him. I know. I tell you it was it was a long time coming yes, with that and yes. I, I just can't thank Roger Fox enough for that one you know because yeah. both well, he and I loved Steve. Well Roger had uh, Roger had wanted to bring Steve out for quite some time. Oh yeah that for was, a very long yeah, time. That yeah that was always a plan yeah. and then it happened and we were talking what two years ago just about a year and a half yeah, two years ago. Yeah that's right yeah and so he comes and he does a series of workshops and gigs yeah. with the band and yeah, so you brought him up to RNZ, and, and mm. I interviewed him on, on air with, with Jesse, which, yeah. again, was funny, because I, I had actually just done... Um, I'd reviewed one of his new albums the week before on right. the show, what, right. something he had played on. Yeah, yeah. And I'd done it as a little bit of a promo thing yeah, and yeah. said, you know, hey, you know, he, he's going to be in the country next week. He's one of my favourite drummers. And Jesse said on air, oh, I think we're actually having him in to chat. Right. Would you like to be in on that? Yeah, and yeah. I said, oh... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's like he's like you could come in and yeah. and interview him with with yeah. me, yeah. and um, I was like okay, and then they messaged me, the producer messaged and said yeah, so you'll come in, rubber, and I I don't know why, but I just thought he would be in the Auckland studio. Oh, right, so it was yeah. only when yeah. I uh, half an hour before I got there oh, right. that I realised oh I think the real reason he wanted me there was because yeah Steve would be in Wellington and yeah, Jesse didn't yeah. know enough about right. drums and his career to yeah. to fully carry the interview and he was like well we'll have yeah, a guy yeah. in the studio yeah, who yeah. can help yeah, yeah. and uh, that was an amazing experience I know. so I, yeah. I meet you and Steve <laughs> yeah. and I'm like wow we're gonna do this yeah. <laughs> yeah it was I was like um and then you go on yeah. to spend how like three days oh, or four well, days well, with it was, them. it was it was like 10 yeah. was here for 10 oh, days right. yeah, 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 yeah yeah so I was you know I'm yeah it was just an amazing time um 
and kind of not really uh, what you th- how I thought it would be. You know, mm-hmm. you know, he was his um, his personality is quite, I think, quite different when he's off the drums. You know, and mm-hmm. he's just very relaxed, very calm. You know, yeah, doesn't doesn't make a big deal about his drumming or anything no like I, I was kind of blown out, away know? by it actually yeah. I, not that I expected him to be in any way showy or arrogant as a person but yeah. I kind of couldn't believe just how you know yeah. it sort of makes sense when you go back yeah. and think about it afterwards yeah. to play that way yeah for that long across so many different things yeah there's a guy who's pretty good with the flow and relaxed, oh, but unbelievable. Yeah. Just not a self-promoter no, at all. No, no, could <laughs> you know? could do better in that regard if wanted yeah. to. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, and you sort of his personality to say Greg Bissonette, yes. you know, just like polar opposites. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, um, Greg just eats up the room, doesn't he? Yeah. But um, <laughs> so yeah, Steve Gadd was was just somebody that was. Um, definitely on the bucket list yeah you know, always wanted to meet him and probably came so close to meeting him but didn't, right yeah didn't, yeah yeah was never in the same even in the same room with him but um yeah so it was it was an amazing experience um and i think you always think afterwards oh man i should have asked him about yeah, this yeah, or that yeah. and the other but it just at the time sitting behind him every night watching him and hanging out with him and, yeah. and you know whether it was getting him his water or his towel or whatever it was just like and setting up the drums it was it just seemed to be like just like he was um you know your friendly mate next yeah door, i was gonna say because he you know? he struck me as like as low-key as he was there was no aloofness or anything he was he's into it all because i mean i did that chat with him on here and then i had a little bit of a gush afterwards and got him to sign a couple of records and he was fine with it and i thought i have to do that because why wouldn't you because you know i guess i've got my version of that story of being like seven or eight years old and reading his name and going i've got to find out more about this guy so i you know Mm. bought records based on him being on them so you know thinking and i've written about him and it's like i don't even think i'm going to meet him so of course i've got to get him to sign a record (laughs) yeah but then i just calm down and go home and go well that was really cool Mm. and then the next night i drive up to palmy to see the gig because i couldn't Mm. be at the wellington one and i happened to see him outside and i'm not expecting him to even notice me but he comes over yeah hey man great to see you thanks for coming up you know it was cool so he was into it yeah oh yeah no he's he's just like a a really down-to-earth friendly genuine yeah person there and what you see is is who he is yeah yeah yeah. Um, but i think you know like with all of our sort of drumming heroes that that we see in various forms of media we kind of think oh that kind of a person and, and the way that steve plays sometimes is like really aggressive Mm-mm. and full-on and, and intense Mm-mm. and he's just not kind of that person um when yeah, you meet yeah, him you know yeah. um so it, it was it was a great time um and it just kind of um yeah just i think when people i remember roger sellers used to say look you could just see that guy play it would all make sense yeah you know because like you hear people play on recordings and you think it's one thing when you see them it's like uh uh-huh, mm-hmm. okay i see how he's doing that now. yeah 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 you actually yes sure you can watch it on a video and that's pretty good but when you actually see them play, well i was listening you know, to something just the other day it was a, a drum drumming podcast and i, I think it was um Clem Burke from Blondie was talking about it, but right. someone was talking about Steve Gadd right. and saying, 
you know, there's an epiphany to be had about the first time you actually see him perform 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover. Right. Because right. we hear it. Yeah. And we go, oh, that's cool. That's a signature yeah. thing. And there are people who can play it. People mm. have learned it. It's, it's mm. one of the things sure. that people like yeah. yourself yeah, yeah. Would, would work on and, yeah, and yeah. figure out. Yeah. But if then you watch him play it, and yeah. it kind of almost doesn't make sense at first, but then you watch it and you're like, oh, that's... Yeah. It's amazing, like it's actually more relaxed than, yeah. and there are different things happening than how you first hear it. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I think when his video came out and he showed how it was all broken down, yeah. lots of people went, oh, I think I've transcribed that incorrectly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> nobody realised it was with yes. his foot yeah. and his left hand, you know. Yeah. And that sort of opened up a whole bunch of things. And, you know, obviously we study a bit of Steve Gadd here yeah, on yeah. the jazz programme um, because that was quite an innovative you know, yes. approach to playing the drums deceptively that, simple or just yeah. complex at the same time yeah. like really deceptive uh, right like, like there's yeah. definitely some innovative things mm. that that steve came up with um that no one else at that time was coming up with the same sorts of things mm. you know and um one of the great things yeah. with drumming too is, is, I guess it's a little bit like, like it happens with other instruments and it happens in writing and stuff, but you see people develop their voice by picking up on those little tricks that mm. someone, and, and incorporating them, but making right. them their own. And, yeah. you know, look at someone like Vinnie Coliuda and how yes. there are elements of Gad in his playing, but yeah. you would never say he was yeah. ripping him off or even right. directly influenced by him, but you yeah. can spot how he's grabbed things. Yeah. And going, what if I do this with it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's the thing. Like, Steve would, would probably credit what he's come up with from watching um, Tony Williams. Yeah. All yeah. right. So, uh, you know, he talks about the 50 ways thing. Yeah. Something he was just fooling around, waiting for the next the next take of yeah. the song. Yeah. And, uh, and then go, oh, let's we'll try use that. that. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, obviously, he was. You know, and we we study Tony Williams as well, and we yeah. look at the things that he was doing, and you you can see the connection between Tony Williams and Steve Gadd, yeah. and say Vinnie Colaiuta, yeah, heavily influenced by both of those yes, drummers, yes, in and, different and, ways, and doing different things with yeah the elements from both of them. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. um, so that's why I kind of think, well, you know, no matter how much you try and copy something of someone yes. else's you're always going to come up with your own way of doing it because you just can't help it i know? think the drums are a really in interesting instrument for that too because mm. they require not obviously they require your your mind but because they require all four of your limbs yeah we all we all walk and hold space in this world differently we're, we're different size yeah. and shapes yep. um, we use different equipment mm. um, with different weight and weighting so you yep. end up yeah you, you know your version of subtle is mm. different to mine yeah my version of a really uncomplicated mm. simple groove might not be anyone's right. thing they want to learn but it might feel right or, or you know anyone else's yeah. so we all have you know we all get these different elements happening, right? Yeah, yeah, and and that's that's one of the things we really try and I try and dig in a little bit deeper with students because I think like one of the things I found just talking about that sort of area is um, when I went to Los Angeles and we had every every month we'd have a drum clinic from a person mm. from the state from the LA and one week it was J.R. Robinson, oh, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. and like. Whose photo I'm looking at yeah. just over there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he's has the statistic of having played on more number one hits than any other mm. drummer in recorded mm. history, which is pretty phenomenal. It's you ridiculous, know? yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. and you think, why? Yeah. 
you know. Yeah. So I, I re- that really floored me because I, I thought, man, this guy, um, obviously he can play, he studied and that sort of thing, but he's got nothing on, say, someone yes. like Vinnie Colaiuta or Steve yeah. Gadd or, or yeah, Dave yeah. Winkler or anything like that in terms yeah. of their technical facility. Yeah. But he still gets the majority of the work, yes. you know, playing beat number one. Yes, yes. You know, and so there has to be something in how he plays beat number one. that, that <laughs> And in his personality, I guess, off... Yeah. That's a component too, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm, are I'm, you a nice guy? Like for sessions and stuff, oh, are yeah. you cool to hang with? Are you relaxed? Like, yeah, exactly. all of that comes into it. Yeah, too. I was definitely a confident kind of a yeah, person, yeah, and yeah. quite the opposite to Steve Gadd. Yeah, you know? right. Um, but still, you know, um, he, he hasn't, um, you know, made any enemies. I don't think. You know, yeah, yeah. People are still getting a lot of work. You know, and the same with with Jeff Picaro too. You know, yeah. I got to meet him as well, and it was like. Both of those those guys are not really known for drum soloing or mm. anything like that. But They're groove players. Yeah, yeah, and they get a lot of work. So that really changed my whole kind of thinking of like, wow, there's there's a lot more to being able to play simple things, and it's not just the pattern, it's it's the details of the timing, and and so that has forced me to kind of like really investigate what are these guys who play beat number one what did they listen to <laughs> that got them to the place yeah. where it feels really great yeah you know and there is and with both of those drummers say jr and and picaro and gad they all have a strong background in jazz and blues r&b music mm. and so they approach something like a, a rock beat number one with this kind of filter yes. of how they hear that in relation to the other instruments so when you do look at the details of of where they place that in relation to the other instruments it's it's a different way of hearing it to somebody who's come up from not listening to jazz Mm-mm. and is playing beat number one yeah yeah, right? yeah. And, and that's what i sort of hear a little bit of that from the students that come to me from new zealand background where you know there's probably not as much jazz and blues background with a lot of the drummers yeah, here yeah. in New Zealand yeah. um, as there is in America. You, know, with, you must have met Picaro quite um, late in his life. Yeah, well this was 1990 so yeah. he passed away in 92 so yeah. I, was, I was very fortunate thinking back at the time that I yeah. was. You didn't know that then of you course. You didn't know that of course it was just like oh yeah. He could have gone not, I mean he wasn't old old he could have gone no. on to live um, That's right. still be alive you know but yeah. Yeah, yeah it was, it was um, again it was sort of quite casual you know and he was you know, very relaxed, and he didn't really want to play anything. He just wanted to talk. Uh, another guy that just like didn't want to play any drum solos. We were pre-warned. Yeah. Don't ask him to play a solo. You know. Yeah, yeah. Just bring some recordings of what he's played on, and get him. To but he's the guy who you dig. You don't. Well, you dig mm. deep with him, and there's an extraordinary amount of work, and 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 really quite a finite time. Yeah, yeah. You know? I think I think he was pretty determined not to. Compared to his father, yes. So he kind of chose a pathway that was sort of away from that sort of mm, jazz mm. thing. But from reading interviews, he he did spend quite a lot of time playing along with his dad's jazz recordings. Right. And, yeah. 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 And then of course, get, yeah, that all makes sense. You know. So yeah, he did. You know, and you just look at his hands. You can tell 
he's had lessons, you know, mm. just the way that he was holding the sticks and that. Who was the first, so if it was like a lifetime coming meeting someone like Steve Gadd, yeah. who, was the, who was the first, you know, truly great drummer that you got to, if not meet, check out in a clinic, like up close, you know, actually see live? Do you have a memory of about being blown away, oh, I've got this guy's records, right. and now here he is kind of yeah. thing? I, I would have to say that the first time Dave Weckl came out here, mm-hmm. when Roger brought him out in 1996, that was kind of like, whoa, you know? <laughs> I remember going to the clinic. Yeah. I didn't see the show that time, but right. I, I went to the clinic that he did. Oh, right, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think in Wellington he, he did, he, it was at the Michael Fowler yes. Centre, and it was before the show. Yeah, well, and that's it was, right. And it was part of the festival mm-hmm. thing, and it was kind of a probably a sold out thing but yeah that was the first time I got to meet Dave again it was like it wasn't too different from the second time I met him but um but that was just like wow I just can't believe this you know mm. I'm you know setting up the gear I'm mm. hanging out with mm. him and he's mm. saying you got any questions and I'm going <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah um, one how is this happening yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah there was the quite a lot and even and even the second time hanging out was even better but um yeah um yeah i i I don't know it was just i think it's just sort of the thing like there's never any sort of like technical things too much that i always feel i've got to ask him because all the information's kind of out there now you know um but um i think it's the um what i pick up from from all of these drummers is just the level of detail that they sort of um, hear and see mm-hmm. um, that a lot of us are not sort of aware of, you know. And they probably, uh, Weckl was pretty articulate about saying, oh yeah, that's not time, and, and you go, really? Well, do you remember when we were doing that um, Steve Gadd interview mm. and it was structured like we'd ask him some questions and then mm. play some pieces that he had from across his career and sometimes yeah. we'd play the whole song or just yeah. a, a significant snippet. Mm. And rather than just tune out and flip through a magazine when it yeah. was off air, yeah. he sat with his eyes closed listening to himself, yeah. you know, yeah. and it would make quite funny little comments to us of yeah. like, I don't remember doing that or... Yeah. Yeah trumpets you know actually off key there you know what yeah. like he was listening to it all over yeah. again as if it was playback for the oh, first yeah. time yeah. i thought that was really interesting mm. like there's a guy who cares because because he's in that moment the moment yeah. is oh a question might come up about this right you know i just felt yeah. I, I felt that was really interesting mm. you know yeah he's he's just um i think they're both kind of um really hear the details about everything and and such a sharp way that a lot of us are not really as aware. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Um, he definitely they, 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 the two, so Weckle and Gad both had like completely different kind of um, approaches. Yes. You know. Yeah. Um, Steve would hear all the detail and then deliberately leave a lot of it out. You know. Mm-hmm. Weckle hears all the detail and puts it all in there yes, and makes yeah, sure yeah, it's yeah. all like perfectly in time. Mm. Um, you know, Dave very much wanting to be in control of all the sound and how all the drums sound. Steve much more relaxed about, you know, oh yeah, kind of a bit more kick drum in the monitor and, and mm. everything else was just like, you know, pretty relaxed, you yeah. know. Um, yeah. So yeah, just just different personalities in terms of what they, um, what was important to them to make the performance happen. Yeah. Um, 
you know, someone like Steve was like, oh, I don't want to do a clinic on the same day that I'm going to perform. So he'd really figured out um, what boundaries he needed to have yeah, yeah. Uh, for his personal space. Whereas Greg to... Bissonette wants to do one before, during and after. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and Dave Wecker was, was totally cool with, yeah. with doing a clinic on this, you know, just hours before he was going to have to play. He was mm. all cool with that. Mm. Steve liked to have that time yeah, you know, and, and they're all kind of like very health conscious now. Yes, those guys. Yes. Um, yeah, they've made it, you know, uh, an age um, further than people they've they've hung with. You know, like yeah, their friends right. are dying. Yeah, that's so right. Yeah. because of the lifestyle they've been part of. Yeah. so it, it yeah. makes sense that they're very yeah. health conscious. Yeah. yeah, but I think Steve had really figured out what he needed to in order to deliver the kind of performance mm. um, and um, so that was that was really interesting yeah it, probably quite different if if he had come over in, in the 80s you know, yeah a different yeah. person yeah back then and, and he like he says he doesn't didn't remember a lot of that stuff back then because a lot mm. of it was probably very similar yeah um, but yeah he did admit that you know he he had uh, gone to rehab in 87 and that whole yeah he was quite Open, open about, about talking yeah, about that yeah. sort of thing, and yeah. and said you know that was sort of um, quite key, you know, in his sort of keeping on going mm. and that sort of thing. So mm. um, yeah, I don't know. It's, I I do reflect on it quite a lot, yeah. and um, and of course you know, and I have studied his stuff, and and my master's degree was a big part of that was on Steve Gadd as well. Yeah, um, so. Um, it, I, I guess I've sort of, I would have to say Steve Gadd would have to be yeah, number the, one. the key influence. Yeah. Even though I know there are drummers who are probably more technically, you know, advanced in, in so many other ways, you know, today, mm. to what Steve is. But he lines up with, um, you can, you know, that makes mm. sense to me. He lines up with a lot of what you've done and gone on to do, like the components. I was going to say, mm. some, some drum, most drummers fancy themselves to be able to... Um, dabble in some way with percussion most yeah. percussionists mm. get behind a kit and can yeah. do something but they yeah. are separate things yes and then yeah. there are a few mm. who really are drummers and percussionists and you are one of those people yeah well you know? that, that i think and that's what i would say about steve yeah Gadd, and that sort of era of player um including bud jones because he's probably only a couple of years uh older than than steve Gadd. yeah the american sort of university system was kind of like if you wanted to do drums you did orchestral yes, percussion yeah. and so that's what Steve Gadd had to do at Eastman School of Music was orchestral percussion for four years mm. and you played a bit of drum set on the side yeah yeah you know yeah. Um, but that was really what he was passionate about obviously was was drum set but he if you've had to do orchestral percussion and rudimental snare mm. drumming and all that sort of thing it does you know, keep a lot of options open for mm -hmm. you, you know, with mm. the whole reading and then just basic technical skills on timpani and mallets and all that sort of stuff, which um, for me has really paid off, you know, yeah, like yeah. I, I wouldn't say I do a lot of those sorts of gigs, but I have... But you can. Yeah, I, I, I did do, we did, I was on the Dancing with the Stars band for yeah. five years, you yeah. know, and I could have obviously done the drum set part, but... They needed someone that could play hand percussion 
Anne could play a bit of timpani and tambourine and triangle and all kinds of mm. little orchestral bits as well, you know. And like you say, it still seems to be quite divided here yeah. in New Zealand. You either study orchestral percussion or you're a drum set player, yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, and I've always been someone who's tried to push for both of those things um, just because, you know, of the work that you can you can get with that. And I, so Steve Gadd was sort of, you know, somebody that you looked up to that mm. could do that. So was Bud Jones. They're both from the same sort of background in terms of... Yeah, and bringing sort of those Latin, you yeah. know, ideas into yeah. pop songs. Right. Not just playing Latin jazz, but, that's you right. know, like, yeah. it's all through Steve's work, right? Well, absolutely. I mean, no one else was playing the cowbell yeah. until Steve Gadd came along yeah. and played Mozambique. And it was like... Yeah. And I said, when did you start playing that? Oh... 1976, yeah, with um, Chick Corea's My Spanish Heart, and I thought, wow, you know, and you think, all the other major influences in that early 70s, mm. whether it was Billy Cobham or, or Tony Williams yeah. or, or Garibaldi or anyone like that, nobody ever played a cowbell no. part like that, yeah. other than John Bonham Yeah, playing, it was rock, it was rock, rock cowbell, cowbell quarter notes. Yeah, or you know, yeah, or yeah, yeah. Joe Cocker's, you know, yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. thing, you know, but... No one was playing the cowbell like that, and that was just mm. like the fusion of sort of Latin type music, funk and jazz. That really sort of he was the one that sort of yes. brought that all together, yeah, and and really brought the cowbell back into the drum set, yeah. So um, so that was that was inspiring. I'd always um often been the second drummer, so the other drummers are always getting the seat in front of me like right. with a National Youth Jazz Orchestra, someone like Kerry Buchanan. So the second drum always had to play percussion. So I was sort of like, oh, I'm always interested in the congas. Mm. And that was the other reason why I went to um, Grove School of Music was because um, they had people like Luis Conte teaching hand percussion there. Wow. <laughs> and they had Alex Acuna, you know, all, all the now, people. That, you know, th th those are two names that yeah. if people haven't heard them, yeah. Their names, you've you've basically heard them play. Yeah. They're on everything. Yeah. If, and sometimes both of them are on it. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, they're on every, like almost yeah. every song you can think of, right? Or yeah. Well, they're in everyone's record collection. Yeah. One yeah, way well, or another. Yeah. Well, Ralph McDonald yeah. and, and Paulinho da Costa. So, yeah. Yeah. So between those guys, that's you right. Know, that's the lineup. Like, they were the, the key players. So I really went And Bobby to that. Hall, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> After yeah, that. Yeah. 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 So I, I went, to, went to that school because I wanted to learn about the. The sort of other areas of Latin percussion and at the time I, I just thought Latin percussion yeah. and I didn't realise there was a difference between Afro-Cuban and Brazilian stuff you yeah, know? So, yeah. so that was a huge eye opener for me and I knew there was nothing like that in New Zealand it was like I'd searched high and low to find somebody who could teach me how to play congas and there was like no one you know Yeah. so um so when I got over there and, and sort of got to meet all those guys, it was like, wow, you know. Um, so that's been a, a, a big part of, you know, um, my background as well, was my interest in um, hand percussion, mm. you know, mm. and has opened a lot of doors. And, and it helps everyone to kind of understand how all these patterns that people play on the drum set, you know, the origins of that and, and how it's influenced all these other things you know mm. and how how immersive do you get with that like do you 
read into the culture, study the history, you know, or is it about the music and the components of the um, music? Like, well, do you go? Do you need to I, go and visit these places? Do you? I, any I of would that sort love of thing? to yeah. um, get into it deeper. Yeah, and we we literally scratch the surface of it when you realise the depth and yeah. breadth of yeah. <laughs> each of those sort of Afro-Cuban percussion or Caribbean percussion and Brazilian percussion, and the roots of all of that um, is is just huge. And I sort of you know, strongly hint at that to all the students. Um, mm. And um, now I, I haven't been to Cuba and I haven't been to Brazil, um, but strangely enough, there are so many people now in Wellington that are from those countries. Yes, yeah, yeah, and yeah. There, is, there is actually some pretty strong community uh, musically. Yeah. And I've played with a lot of people um, in Wellington. So but, you learn that way, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, so it's been, that's been fantastic, mm. you know, that I've been able to to use that knowledge and, and um, but I'd always try and relate it to how it relates to jazz music so if we're looking at Afro-Cuban stuff we're always going well Dizzy Gillespie, mm-hmm. Manteca, mm-hmm. Tunisia and Brazilian music well you can't get away from the girl from Ipanema yeah, and yeah, Joe yeah. and all that sort of stuff <laughs> yeah, so yeah. we sort of start there and then try and sort of foster people's interest to kind of mm-hmm. look into it a bit deeper you mm-hmm. know so I have to kind of narrow it down into like this is what you need to be able to play in the the jazz world. Um, as a as a know. well-rounded uh, player who you as as you are who's done a lot of different things, I'm going to take a stab in the dark here and guess that if you had to name the weakest genre for you to be a master of, it would be reggae. Well, or are you, you or are you, are you good I, with that? I look. I mean, I could play. I think I could. I could sit in in a reggae situation. It's, yeah, yeah, I would yeah. Say, when I say the weakest, I would it's probably all relative. say. I would probably say speed metal or okay. death metal right. or something like that. Those are the things yeah, you've I, done. I, I have not done. Less a, of, I've not yeah. done a gig or yeah. played in a band that's like a really hardcore metal band. Right. Yeah, I yeah. have not done any of that sort of stuff. Have played. A you've rocked of, out, but not yeah. metal. Yeah. No, I haven't. You know, like. One of the guys that I taught for a while, Sean Anderson mm-hmm. um, or Jacob Randall, both those guys are like incredible, you know, double kick pedal guys that, mm. that do play in metal bands, you know. Um, so I could not really do that sort of stuff, you know. Um, so, yeah, I have played some reggae stuff um, and I enjoy that and it has a real connection with Afro Cuban music yes. because yeah. of the triplet. Yeah. So. And one of our sort of fusion drumming things, we do a little bit of a study on on reggae music and especially the triplet form of it and show how that connects to the Afro-Cuban tonate sort of patterns Mm. um, and show how, yeah, just how it's all connected, the halftime, funk, shuffle, reggae. um, So we we do get into that um, and it, it it is pretty cool. Um, yeah, but yeah. I would say no. I haven't played in a hardcore reggae band. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Um, but have played in covers bands that play some reggae music. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 No, I knew you would yeah. have facility with it, mm. but it is just one. Of, I just know yeah. often, unless a drummer has dedicated themselves to it, that tends to be it's that yeah. or brushes. You know, if they're, right, not, if they're right. not a brush player, yeah. <laughs> like yeah, y- those tend to be the things that come up. Like yeah. well, that, that is probably my weakness. You know? Yeah, I would just say that it's probably whatever. Um, I tend to kind of delve into whatever it is that I'm the gig is yeah and so if if it's got reggae music in it then I'm I'm interested on dig, digging yeah. into that 
Um, but you know, there's not a lot of you know hardcore metal gigs. You know yes, that yeah, wind yeah. up in in uh, and kind of situations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. Know? There's not a lot coming through your inbox. Yeah, requiring um, that. Now I've obviously had students that are totally into yes. that, and um, I really um, respect all of that. You know, um, and you know, you talk someone like Greg Bissonette, who yeah. did play some pretty hard yeah. You know, yeah. stuff with David Lee Roth. You know, but I've never. That's never been an aspiration of mine I mm-hmm. guess you know yeah, yeah. so I guess I'm in, in a sense you know fairly wide but not you know completely you know into yeah, it. yeah, there's yeah. just so many areas of music well it's, it's infinite know. right so yeah. you know to, to to be across what you've managed to be across is enough I think yeah. like, that's, that's pretty good go. Yeah. talk a bit about um, those kind of I guess yeah those kind of Invisible gigs, like well, I guess you're you're visible, but those invisible gigs where you're just part of a sound, which you've done a lot of. You mentioned Dancing with the Stars band, yeah. Like you know, that's a, that's obviously a, it's a paid gig. It's a good thing mm. to do, and people might have caught you on the screen because mm. it is. But mm. they're not there to see the band. That's you're right. there to do a job. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, um, and those sorts of things. I, I guess. Um, I mean, there's been lots and lots of gigs where we've played um, ambient music. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. That that's quite quite a, an actual thing, you know, where you're there, but they don't really want to know that you're there. Yeah, you know, like three years of playing music in the hotel lobby of the uh, Park Royal. You right. Know? Yeah. You know, yeah. That yeah. was. Um, yeah. You're there. Some people would come along every Friday night to listen to the band, but basically, yeah, you're not there um, to a lot of people. Um, Look, you know, that's never been a thing for me, you know. I'm not really, um, I'm like, I'm not a self-promoter, and I'm just really wanting to earn a living playing the drums. And I've, you know, my background is sort of jazz and classical and, you know, things related to to that kind of music so I've pretty early on figured out that it was about fitting in as as a team Mm. thing and I I get a lot of satisfaction from um, making the whole thing sound good and and I would have to say that that Roger Sellers who was both my teacher and then my colleague you know Mm. he was really the person that taught me about having to play for the music and if you can make everyone else sound good then it will come back at you and you'll feel good about that you know uh, i i know that i really kind of was pretty self-indulgent playing wise when i was at, at polytech with the groups with the, my mm. other students and that and uh, and uh, roger would always say look lance i love the energy <laughs> I think you're going to need to do <laughs> this, <back>. you know, because <laughs> I would be listening to Steve Gadd on the three quartets with, yeah. with, with Chick Corea just going for it and then bring that kind of thing into combo where they're trying to play Autumn Leaves, you know, mm-hmm. and think, yeah, I'm going to do that. Yeah. Um, and didn't realise that, you know, um, that playing, it was how you played minimally mm. in time and all the details of what you were playing that was going to really make the group sound good so it took it took leaving the school and then trying to earn a living to to have those words of roger sellers echo back into my head and go 
Oh, that's what Roger was talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so since then, you know, I've I've kind of always just been keen on like trying to be a part of the of whoever I'm playing with. I don't really, you know, uh, I'm not really big on you know being noticed, even though you play an instrument. That yes, is, yeah, it's, yeah. It's pretty noticeable. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's why I'm quite happy to play percussion or. Um, but the one thing I, I really am into is playing music that has a really great feel to it mm-hmm. and a groove, mm-hmm. you know. And that's why I've kind of gravitated away from playing in orchestras and that sort of stuff. Um, just because um, the percussion in an orchestra is not really about playing a groove, mm-hmm. you know. It's mm-hmm. more about adding a, Accenting. Ca- a, ca- yeah, a colour yeah, and an yeah. accent and something. That, that, which is its own thing, but exactly, yeah, 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 which is impressive. Yeah, but yeah, if yeah. it's not for you, yeah. And yeah. I would guess I would say probably music that's classical music for movies has probably got more of a groove aspect to it, um, which was something that I was drawn to mm. in Los Angeles, you know. But could see that was a close shot there. Um, <laughs> yeah. But um, it's actually interesting the number yeah. of contemporary um, soundtrack composers that that seem to really come from a strong background of drumming being yes. either being a drummer primarily right. or really having it in their yeah. arsenal yeah it is it is something that really adds the dynamic you know like cliff martini is right amazing i mean and he was briefly in the red hot chili peppers right. <laughs> and and played with captain beefheart and right. you know he's got this really interesting yeah. kind of art punk yeah drumming career yeah and so his his scores have all this beautiful tuned percussion yeah. and yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, I, so I've, I've probably gravitated away from orchestras yeah. um, in the traditional sense because I'm more interested in playing anything that's just where I'm playing a repetitive groove that, that I can really focus in on the details of playing that well and making the rest of the band sound good. You mm-hmm. know? So, um, so yeah, I wouldn't say I'm like a huge... Uh, soloist um i obviously try my best in that area and that would be something i and continuing to to work on and and is a big part of what we teach here is is um improvising but um much more interested in some of these players that play simply and it's not real obvious what it is yeah. about their playing that makes it great. So who's kind of who's come yeah. up to your to your mind in a, in a I guess in a kind of post Vinny Dennis Chambers kind yeah. of world? Those sorts of players have had massive yeah. continued influence. Oh yes. And who yeah. are some of the new generation that you're aware of, or that that you think are doing uh, interesting things along those lines? Well, um, oh, let me think. I guess um, there are, there are drummers like uh, some of the students are into. Like, there's a drummer that we've been looking at, um, J D Beck, who's oh, yeah. a young cat that that plays um, quite a minimalist drum kit. But um, yeah, you know, I, I guess it's quite a busy kind of patterns and things that he plays. But um, who else? Chris Dave was qu- out here a couple of years yeah, ago. Chris, He's quite a big one for people. Yeah, Chris yeah. Dave and his kind of the his invention mm, of like yeah. um, his sort displacement of displacement thing, yeah, yeah, wobbly drunk yeah. drunk beat yes. um, is is another kind of interesting thing. Do you get yeah. asked to teach that a bit? Like, um, or? 
Yeah, I think of. I think everyone kind of seems to be comes with it. Comes with it, and they've kind of figured that <laughs> oh, out. So you have to kick it out of them. Yeah, that's <laughs> what no, you're no. saying. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, it's quite interesting. I think Greg Bissonette was asked that question at a yeah. drum clinic in Christchurch, and he just kind of went, "Oh no, I don't do that. I just focus in on trying to play yeah. really in time." You know, so yeah, he yeah. kind of avoided that one. But um, yeah, I would say. Um, Oh, who else? We've been listening to um, drummers like Justin Tyson, who, who sort of a, a new guy on the block. But I don't know. There's there's actually you know there's nothing really that new. Sure, mm-hmm. sure. Chris Dave's kind of approach to playing yeah. that would be something. And uh, you could say there's there's a lot of drummers that are sort of heavily influenced by hip hop. You could say yeah, Quest yeah. Love. Yeah. And, um, but really, um, I was listening to Steve Jordan the other night, and he was just saying, he was talking about things that Al Jackson Jr. played, mm. and really, there are some things that are just timeless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. and so Earl Palmer, Al Jackson, yeah, things like that. Just I know, and it's sort of, a lot of it comes back to to Steve Gadd, <laughs> yeah, things like that too. Yeah, and um, some of the things that they do. Or JR or, or mm. Jeff Beccaro, you know. Well, I'm looking at that picture you know? of Steve Ferroni up there yeah. and going Steve like, Ferroni, man, yeah. he's another guy that's His entire career is perfect. just, you know. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then he just goes and spends a quarter century playing with Tom Petty, and it's great too. Like, Yeah, I know, yeah. <laughs> that was probably he, he, like his best money gig or whatever, yeah, like, yeah. And, and sort of different from how he made his name, but yeah. he fitted right in. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Incredible, yeah. And that's what I try and tell the students, to say, look, Look at Steve Ferrone, he made his entire career mm. of just playing very simple yeah. stuff, but man, can he play, you yeah. know, so dig into that, Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, on the other hand, you get someone like Jimmy Cobb, you know, who just passed away, yeah. and, and, and he sort of made his career from playing that way that he played in Miles Davis's mm. um, kind of blue album, um, so I I don't know I haven't really uh, I, who's Nate Smith would be somebody. oh yeah 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 Nate of course because he's he's very visual like he's very mm. present in the YouTube kind yes. of way of discovering yeah. drummers plus he's very yeah. good but yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but he still says a lot with just the three basic components yeah, yeah, you know yeah. and and I've always felt Steve Gadd was was one of those guys too that mm. could really say a lot with just hi-hat kick and But don't you think Nate you know? Smith's just a kind of hyperspeed James Gadsden? You know, like he's true. He's kind of like a more yeah. modern version of that and I think he yeah. would admit, you know, yeah. to that he's... I, I, th- I, yeah. I think so. It's, it's very hard. It's like yeah. everyone today, you can kind of analyse them quickly and go, right, I know you've been listening to that guy and that guy and that guy. Mm. And mm. maybe that's just because teaching at a music school you get very good at analyzing things quickly and picking up little bits of vocabulary and say right well that's from Mike Clark and that one's from Steve Gadd and that one's from Vinny and you know <laughs> you kind of we um, have talked a lot about guys because mm. most drummers tend to be guys but th- yeah. that has changed yes and yes. Um, I remember reading Modern Drummer and it was like back in the day and it was mm. like 97% of the world's drummers are male yeah, yeah. Um, this school and Rogers band had Aaron is it Aaron? Um, just moved um, away. Lauren Ellis. Lauren, sorry, sorry, sorry Lauren Ellis. I, I yeah, yeah, yeah. I did too. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah she Lauren, was a, lo- a mainstay. Ellis, yes, Lauren. Lauren um, took over. I stopped playing in Rogers Band in 2013, mm. and then Lauren took it over from there. And then mm. she 
got this um, amazing scholarship at University of Southern California studying under Peter Erskine. And is that where she is now? Yeah, that's, that's where yeah. she is now. Wow. Um, so cool. she was very, very fortunate to get that. But yes, she she would have to be one of the female drummers that, that has sort of completed the course and gone on and done some amazing things. You know? Yeah, I feel like I watched her... Um, mm grow up on the drums like because um, yeah. you know she was never bad but mm. like i mm. really saw her just become so confident yeah as a crucial component of that band mm. yeah really well, driving well, it well lauren has always had um like a really great swing feel from yeah. like when she was a teenager before she came to the music school she did the the jazz workshops thing and and as soon as we heard her play it was like oh yeah well, she's got something you know mm. and um and then it was just showing her a few things you know and she's picked everything up really quickly she's really good on a, a bunch of other instruments mm. too she mm. can play a bit of bass and keyboards and and that sort of thing so she's very all-rounded musical person you know mm -hmm. um, and gets along with everyone really well so um but yeah i at the moment, we've got another young lady from the Hawke's Bay, Bailey Sparks. She's in her second year. She's doing really well. We've had Olivia Campion, mm -hmm. who um, did honours and is still around in Wellington playing in different bands. And she was amazing too, another person from the Hawke's Bay. Um, and um, we have Stephanie Engelbright, who's... Yeah, yeah, uh, who's yeah. Um, who was playing with Strike. Yes, she played Stripe for a bit yeah. there, and she was another person that's mm. really good. Yeah. Jean Pompey. Oh, yeah. She was another person that was here for a little while. Um, so we've, you know, we've had a few, you know, there's yeah. been... I'm just conscious of how yeah. we're both saying guys, because yeah. when you talk about drummers, you just do. Yeah. Because it's still, particularly the era that we've been, that we exactly. grew up yeah. around and, and, and are influenced by. Yeah. Yeah, I'd probably say that. Sheila E was a yeah. was a huge influence for me too. I was going to say because she, she's one of the yeah. one of the great drummers and, and percussionists, percussionists yeah. who can do them both separately and combine yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. So she was definitely an, an yeah. inspiration. Um, hearing some of the stuff that she did, even with Billy Cobham when yes. she was a teenager playing yeah. percussion, and that, yeah. and I thought, wow, she's amazing. Um, yeah, she's got this. People know her from the Prince Association, which yeah. is crucial. Mm. But she's got this whole. I mean, her book was amazing. Yes, book, I've got her book yeah, too. It's yeah, it's so good. Yeah. I mean, you know, playing with Santana and George Duke, yeah. and you know, yeah, yeah. She's, she's really she could pull her weight in any kind of situation. Yeah. Really, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very inspirational. Um, well, Prince picked her out because he knew yeah. she was good. You know, yeah. it was like he'd yeah. actually seen her do the work. Yeah, and. Yeah. He was. He knew he was lucky to have her. Like yes, yeah. he elevated her yeah. visibility-wise, yeah. and all of that. But he yeah. knew she'd done the work. Yeah. Um, I guess another person I met was Cindy Blackman. Oh you know. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, saw her She's at, incredible. A, at a conference um, at the Picasso Art Society convention mm. and got to meet her briefly. Um, wow. And I know she's sort of very much into Tony Williams, but yeah, um, but just unbelievably dedicated and i guess her work with lenny kravitz was yeah well that's how well i first yeah. knew her but knew of yeah. her but i was gonna say for a jazzer she she really yeah. pulled off the rock oh, chops yeah. Yeah. brilliantly yeah 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 so she was she's another one um so yeah there's there's and now by default she's the drummer in santana that's right, right. Like yeah, she's yeah. married to him yeah so. <laughs> yeah i know incredible isn't it but um yeah there's always been i've never mm. really sort of seen any any 
difference really yeah um, and I it's always a mystery to me as to why um, you know men or, or women gravitate towards certain instruments yeah yeah and and I and I know that it's sort of music can seem like a bit of a boys club yeah. you know and that the girls you know feel a little bit kind of like pushed out of that you know but it's never been that kind of situation and I think um, someone that I've played with a lot over the years has been Anita Schwab oh yeah she, she's been in Rogers band for a long time piano as well player. yeah piano player we were at um, Polytech together same year and all that sort of thing so we've always you know I don't know, we don't really sort of see any difference, you know, it's yeah. really just how good you can play. You yeah, know? yeah. Well, that, that does feel like that's broken down big time now. Like, yeah. uh, you know, you I don't, obviously you don't go, that, yeah. you don't sort of go, oh, wow, there's a woman playing the drums. But yeah. people used to. It yeah, used yeah. to seem like a novelty factor. Yeah. And yeah. even, you know, mm. then you would be wowed by, you know, like mm. any of these people you've named, mm. like a Sheila E or a Cindy Blackman or whatever, yeah. you'd be instantly wowed by how good they were, but mm. it's still visibly it felt like some novelty factor which right. seems cruel now yeah, yeah. Um, so it's good that we've yeah. moved past that yeah I think that to those, a degree those, yeah to a degree I think yeah. those barriers are, have been broken down mm. um, yeah so. and we're somewhat spoiled for choice in New Zealand with good drummers don't you think oh yeah for us, just, you know it's, obviously it's, we've got lots of good musicians yeah. but we have some very very good drummers oh yeah it's, um, it's really just incredible when you think over the last you know 20 30 years the number of drummers. Now I'm going to ask you, you know. to break humble code here and tell right. me who, who you feel particularly proud to have watched, nurtured, had a hand in their um, discipline, career yeah. in any way because uh, you must be able to reel some names off even if you don't want to. Yeah, well I, I think um, uh, well I guess the earliest, earliest sort of drummers that I felt that I had a little bit to do with would have been, you know, you got your Chris O'Connor, you got Darren Mathiason and Rick Cranston would yeah. be three drummers from that era and then Reuben Bradley is another guy that yeah. um, was um, a student of mine when I was teaching at Hutt Valley High School and came in here um, then um, oh, I'm, I'm definitely going to miss somebody for sure but those guys um, which who we still see around yeah, playing yeah. you know are doing really well with their careers as well um then uh let's see moving on moving on through i i would say you know there's there's been um i've had guys like even uh julian dyan oh know, yeah he um had drum lessons with me yeah. privately for a yeah. long time um and he was a student at Hutt valley high school we had a percussion group so he's someone that has gone on to do some pretty cool well, things. Yeah, he's very you know? inventive and um, yeah. and obviously music's in his yeah in and his, his blood. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, then you could say um, uh, even someone like I don't know if you ever remember Richard Wise was, yeah, another, was yeah, another drummer. Yeah, yeah. That, um, no, I knew him quite well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. Richie um, was another guy from Hutt Valley High School. I I had this real connection of drummers that went from, <laughs> from Hutt Valley right. High School where I was teaching before yeah. I became permanent full time here I would be teaching there and then they would all sort of come Now Rick Cranston of the yeah. people you've named, Rick Cranston yeah. is one of those people that has that thing of, I used to watch him play gigs right. with 
um, a hi-hat, a snare drum, a bass drum and one cymbal. Right, yeah. And yeah. he would play three hours of funk. Yeah. With no toms, no yeah. fills, maybe yeah. two cymbals. Yeah, yeah. And it was phenomenal to watch. Yeah. Just the basic, basic components and just groove all night. Yeah, yeah. He's He was an incredible, incredible drummer, good friend and, and um, yeah amazing he he was yeah definitely through that 90s period yeah and it was it was still polytech i think before it became messy um but yeah so i would say those guys and then moving on up um into the 2000s um my alley would be yeah, another one yeah um that has definitely gone on to like do, julian doing lots of things yeah. in and around the kit as well as just yeah. being a, a great player yeah um, he's been really good. Um, I think one of one of the one person that's sort of taken the teaching thing on to its fullest extent would be somebody who's not sort of known for their amazing chops, but um, the guy Johnny Wilson, mm -hmm. um, who started Good Time Music, and and um, he he really has pushed music education and and you know yeah, right. is, is yeah. one of the fruits of of having taught him um uh, let's see there was another guy um i taught his name's james mcdonald or jimmy mac mm -hmm. is his name and he wound up being the ableton live computer keyboard guy for for lord and that mm. was that was quite an mm. interesting thing um he was another student for a number of years um a lot of these guys either came through Carpity yeah. College or from Hutt Valley High School yeah, 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 yeah. or actually from Palmerston North. Yeah. I would say Sean Anderson is another guy yeah. that, that um, uh, there was one year where we had six six drummers that went from first year right through the honours and, and um, so one of them was um, Hikarangi, mm -hmm. he's still out there, he's, he's really great. Um, Corey Champion. Yeah. He's another guy that went yeah, through, yeah. came through Paraparaumu College, I think, and um, is an amazing drummer. Um, uh, another guy, uh, oh, far out, I'm starting to forget. Um, so, yeah, Sean Anderson, Lauren, um, who else did we have during that year? Um, Corey, there's another guy, there's some guys from Tauranga as well, but yeah, I, I will just keep rambling mm, on, mm. but those, those are some of the guys. No, but these are, are, these are people that have know, made a, made a dent already, like, yeah. that, that have made music that people know and love, yeah. and yeah. Uh, were they not shown the right way or some certain directions mm. and paths to go down they, yeah. they might have chucked it in yeah. so you, yeah. there is a there's got to be a you know mm. you don't need to yeah. boast about it but there must be a pride major oh, pride factor yeah. in I going just, hearing a record or seeing a gig yeah. with these people and going well I remember when they yeah. were like yeah. dragging their triple paradiddles yeah. about, you know <laughs> whatever well I would say someone someone like another person I forgot to mention was um, a guy Luther Hunt okay he's another guy that came through uh, Parapara Umu College, and um, he did the foundation program with Rick was teaching the foundation guys, and then he, and he went right through to honours. So he actually did like about four and a half, four and a half to five years here at the music school. Yeah. Luther plays tunes of I as um, you know a bunch of different groups. Really good reggae mm. feel. Mm. Really good jazz drummer, um, funk everything. You know he's he. He was he's amazing. I would say also another guy is uh, Jacob Randall, who's mm -hmm. from New Plymouth, is is another 
unbelievably talented drummer that is doesn't get as much recognition as he should. Mm. But, uh, but is, yeah. another one would be Dylan Elise. Oh okay? yeah, so, yeah. So, yeah. Who I met when he was really yeah. young. So Dylan came for lessons when he was about 10, 10 yeah. 11. Yeah. We we didn't really get much beyond um, reading and snare drum stuff, mm. um, and then he totally inspired by all the stick tricks of of Thomas Lang yes. and um, and those sorts of guys and went in that pathway but um, so he used yeah. to busk in like Manor's Mall that's right yeah and yeah. Cuba Mall with a yeah. with a very like a full size yeah you know a kit that would require an octopus to get around yeah. it, like a big big clinic yeah. drum kit that they that's would right. take down and set up yeah and yeah. he would juggle sticks yeah and do like solos and, and do that's real right. showman stuff that's right yeah real yeah. Show, showy stuff nothing that I could teach him and he moved but, overseas uh, and is playing drums for blood sweat and tears that's right yes well yeah he kind of i guess he got that through uh, um his connection with uh oh i'm trying to remember who it was but um just he um did some stuff at the tauranga jazz festival oh, right, i think yeah, and i think yeah. they they saw him there and and uh so that's how he kind of got that connection yeah. there and that's wow. that's been a foot in the door for him yeah, being yeah, in yeah. la and yeah to play with lots of people and um, but um, it is pretty hard to break into that whole scene, Amazing. you know. Well, the original drummer in Blood, Sweat and Tears is one of my favourites. Right, Bobby but, Colombi. Bobby, yeah. Well, I think he's still, he's still like around, the owner, eh? yeah, the yeah. owner of that. Of the brand. Of the brand of it. Well, because he got into record production and all sorts of things, That's didn't right. he? Yeah, like, yeah. he? He produced um, the Jaco Pistorius album. Right. The, the, the classic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he produced that and played on some of that. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think, yeah, there was definitely, I think Bobby Colombi would have recognised yeah, yeah. what he was doing and thought, yeah, he'll bring this yeah. show element to the whole yeah. the whole thing and amazing. just be another drummer. So, yeah, amazing. So I think that's, that's, you know, Dylan's done really well. Yeah. So I've, I've been fortunate to see some of these young people like that sort of, yeah, you know, go on and do some, some pretty cool things. And you, you know? don't sound at all in the time we've been talking like mm. you ever lost your way with the idea of teaching or lost your passion. No, no, that has always been my um, that has always been my passion from from when I went to the states. I decided, yeah, yep, I'm coming back, I'm and, coming I'm, back and there's I'm so much this. to build up here. And then as things have developed, you know, and you can see these students coming out and going on to do things, it just kind of fuels that, you know. Um, and obviously I, I stay in contact with other yeah. educators around the world yeah. and see how they do things. And I'm always inspired by by that, you know, and, and always wanting to see how I can do it better, you know. So I'm actually... Um, from 1st of July, not going to be the program director of, of the mm -hmm. the jazz program here, but um, we'll be able to get back into focusing more on the drums and teaching. Yeah, yeah. And less on the administration of, of um, the whole school. Back on the here. tools. That yeah, actually yeah. Good, so right? I'm, I'm getting excited about <laughs> yeah. that. And uh, I'm just fully inspired all the time by what I see. And, and um, I'm so fortunate to be in this environment where I've got all this equipment and people and now you've also like you've also got a family and mm. you play the drums yeah how does that work like how have you I guess having a, yeah. a drum room at work having an office yeah. with drum kits in it is probably quite helpful yeah yeah that you I, can I, to a degree leave it here yes I I, I sit there 
um, when people are busy doing other stuff with the practice pad yeah. and watching a bit of TV yeah. and that sort of thing, I try and keep that going. I do have an electric drum kit set up in yeah. the corner, you know, but it rarely gets touched, you know. Um, so it's that thing of like um, teaching, I guess there's a lot of jobs like teaching that, that are a very give, give mm. kind of thing. And when you come home, it's just like, oh, yeah. and leave that behind. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. It's that whole thing of, separating out work from yes. um, from family life and, and sometimes it's very difficult to switch that off and I'm just very aware of um, how self-absorbed I can get <laughs> <laughs> into just thinking about drums yeah. and music and things like that. So I'm pretty keen on being a more well-rounded human being. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of the, the thing. I, I don't do too much of that at home but it's but a drummer's to, curse though, right? To yeah. Tap knees and yeah, yeah. coffee tables and yeah, yeah, yeah it's that yeah. sort of thing. So I don't have any gear really at home other yeah. than a practice pad and an electric drum kit, you know, yeah. that, that I get to occasionally. Um, my stepdaughter is a really good tap dancer, so there's, oh, so there's, I'm interested in exploring the whole that, tap yeah, dancing yeah. connection. A lot of famous drummers, including Steve Gadd, yes. were tap dancers and. Yeah. and uh, uh, so I'm. I think that's one of my next kind of things to kind of dig into a bit more. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm. I'm into that. But that's my the family life. You know, they're all kind of um, have got some musical things going on, but nobody's like put their hand up to want to learn the drums right, or right. anything like that. So it's probably a relief in a way. Yeah, yeah. So they're kind of like <laughs> yeah. So I haven't got you know like my son's not into drumming or anything like that. And, and in a way, it's kind of like yeah, I don't want to know what dad does. You know? Well, my son's just got into it, and that has actually got me back oh, into cool. it, which is cool because yeah, yeah. you know I have yeah. no delusions of being any good yeah. at all or even wanting to do anything with it. But I've got we've got the kit set up, and yeah, I just yeah. go and play now, which oh, I hadn't cool. done for years and years. Great. And I think yeah. there's an important thing that happens in life yeah. where you realize you can have a, a hobby without being aspirational or competitive about it yeah, in any way yeah yeah, yeah. yeah yeah and that's sort of just kicked in for me like yeah i i always try and like keep it that way with a lot of students that that just come for like private lessons and 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 it is uh, i used to be a lot more kind of like intense about you know doing stuff and it was um and now I just I'm a bit more relaxed about it, um, yeah. and and um, taking taking your time on certain areas that, and just finding the enjoyment well, in some of those things that are often a little bit yeah. put in the boring category of drumming. About ten or twelve years ago, mm. I hadn't played for for years then either, mm. and I got asked to join a band, and I kind of panicked and went mm. like, you know, this is just a muck around practice mm. thing, but. I don't even know if I know how to do this anymore. Yeah. And I had about half a dozen lessons with Ricky Gooch. Right. And yeah. um, I feel like he mm. presented to me like mm. a, an epiphany. Yeah. Of like, stop trying to be, you know, anything else. Yeah. Just be mm. good at what you do on the drums. Yeah. Just whatever it is that you do. Mm. And however you put, don't try and play like anyone else. Yeah. Don't try and improve on that yeah, level. Yeah. Yeah, just yeah. improve yourself, which seems so obvious. Yeah. But, yeah. like, you know, as you, mm. as you know, hearing someone else's words yeah. tell you that, then mm. it's like Eureka. Mm. Yeah, oh, that's great. Yeah, I, I'm always just saying people to people, you know, you, you already have your own voice, you know. Yeah. Um, you you won't be able to sound like anyone really you know we can learn their vocabulary but you're still going to sound like you 
and um, and that there's actually a lot in simple things. Yeah. You know, that yeah. It doesn't. You don't have to be able to play like Vinnie Colaiuta or some you know amazing gospel chops or metal kind of drummer. Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, there's there's a lot of satisfaction on lots of different levels. Um, you know, I, d- so. I don't mean to go back yeah. to say to go yeah. back in time like mm. a what if, but you know, someone on a level like Vinny or Steve Gadd or mm. the people, a lot of the people we've talked about, mm. is there anyone like that that you haven't seen that's still working that you wished you had? Like any of the, right. the real greats that you're like, well, for mm. some reason I haven't seen them, you know, and I right. really want to. Um, is there any you can think of? I mean, you've obviously seen yeah. seen and met lots. Yeah, I know. I've, I've kind of, I think, I think after after um, Steve Gadd, I'd felt like, well, that's it. You <laughs> that, know? <laughs> that, if that's all it is, yeah. if that's all yeah. that's left, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Look, <laughs> I, I haven't had a, a serious hang with with Vinnie Colaiuta. I think at one point I would have really liked to have um, hung out with him. Yeah, I did meet him like very briefly wow. when he came out here for the Sting concert. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, he he was sort of in a place where he didn't want to talk to anyone. So right. I like, See you later. Um, but um, yeah, I I'm trying to think. I, I don't know if there's really anyone um, that I can think of that I really wanted to kind of meet. I have, like, I've been to a couple of NAM shows, and I've been to the Percussive Arts Society mm. International Conventions, and, and I have met a lot of different drummers, and, um, you know, and standing in close yeah. proximity to, like, people like Bernard Purdy or wow. somebody yeah, like that, yeah. and going, gosh he's yeah. this person that I could just touch them and go yeah <laughs> you know but um isn't it great though yeah. to have that level of um almost almost not childish but mm. childlike fandom come out in you in those situations yeah. too to go yeah. this is I mean I, yeah. I, I remember you know I mean I've been to thousands of gigs mm. and and seen most of my heroes when mm. it comes down to it relative to mostly seeing them in New Zealand yeah but I remember just about crying when Stevie Wonder walked on stage oh, right. about a decade yeah. ago. It yeah. was just like, how am I mm. this close to him? Yeah. You know, like, yeah. of all the people, that's someone whose records I've listened to my entire life. Right, yeah. And there he is. And yeah. amazing. I know. know. And is, I could have just as easily not been yeah. here. Yeah. You know, I, I might have got it wrong. And it's like, that was, am- and I didn't even meet him. I didn't want yeah. to meet him. Yeah. I just wanted to see him play. And it was yeah. great, you know. Yeah. I, I don't and isn't know. that cool? I know. It's incredible. I think, yeah. um, I, I feel really fortunate. I was, I went to the Miles Davis concert that was wow. here in, at the Wellington Town Hall. Wow. And, and, and I think it was 1987. Yeah. And it was like, wow. You That's know, ridiculous. To yeah, yeah. To, him, to be in the like, room. To yeah. be in the room, and oh. believe me, there was such a presence with yeah. with him just walking out onto the stage and go, "Here's Miles Davis." Because there's like, wow. there's the people you like who are good at what they do, mm. and there's the people that are, you know, a level above that, mm. and then there's the the architects, you know, the yeah. people that actually built the sound, yeah. and it's, you know, relative to what you're into, it's yeah. people like Miles mm. Davis and. Brian Wilson and Paul McCartney yeah, and Stevie yeah. Wonder, you know the, that yeah. kind of level. Mm. Um, Prince, yeah. you know, you know, even though he came later, you know, yeah. what he did. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I've just seen some of those shows and go, yeah. how, how have I ended up here? Like, yeah. you know, yes, I, know. I paid my money and I got my ticket and yeah. I stood in line, yeah. and I'm miles back. Yeah, and, but you mm. know, it's it's unreal, isn't it? It is. It is unreal. I I I would have to like. 
I'd be pinching myself, you mm. know, like, like you'd see these people that like in close proximity to yourself at these different mm. um, either concerts or shows or things like that. You think, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. I'm like standing right next to so and so, or I'm in the lift with you know <laughs> with Chester Thompson who wow, played with yeah, Bill Collins yeah. and, <laughs> and just like oh, I'm not going to say. Now there's a good one. Where do you where do you sort of stand with Phil Collins as a drummer? Oh, I I fully admire him too I'm, I don't know why I didn't uh, bring him up but I remember in the 80s yeah. um, getting his you know um, his, some of his first albums yeah. and and wishing like crazy that I could play the keyboards like yeah. him yeah. and sing and it was like well I can't sing and I can't play the keyboards <laughs> I might be able to play a bit of his drumming mm. but yeah total respect to that guy yeah, yeah. man he's because he's, he's got a great drum feel as well he does like, he's, yeah. he's got I mean he's, he's got into the right stuff isn't yeah he? yeah that's you know? right and he's one of those guys you know I think he's had a there's been a bit of a comeback in, in popularity in terms of people not mm you know not wanting to put the boot in and go oh that's just cheesy stuff mm. it's been, been a bit of appreciation comeback mm. but um yeah he, you could also check out the stuff that he did as a session drummer for other people if you don't know if you don't like his music right and it's like he's a good drummer he's, he is, he a, is good a good drummer, drummer. you he know is he isn't just a novelty act of a singing no. drummer he's a good drummer he is a really good drummer i mean he did do you know stuff with brand x yeah it was yeah one of the yeah things. and then Later on, you know, he did put that big band together. And, yeah, yeah, and the big band. I thought you would have liked that. You the know, big band yeah, thing was he, cool. He definitely swing. Yeah, and he's on Robert Plant records. Yeah. He's on Brian Eno records. Like, there's some cool yeah. stuff he's done. Like, he's you know, definitely, I would say he's serious cachet. The, the way that he used Tom Toms mm. was so. And the way that he incorporated drum machines, too. Like exactly. That, like, yeah, yeah. And played with them or, you know, yeah. came up with the programming thing. Oh, yeah. It was a bit of a dirty word. And then to have a, a major name drummer basically endorse. Yeah. programming yeah was quite a cool thing yeah oh, I, I total respect to phil collins have got you know all of his stuff mm, mm. um but it was i guess with phil collins it was it was pretty understandable what he was doing yeah um whereas some of someone like al jackson jr you know yeah who, yeah yeah uh, it's like there's still a bit of mystique yes. about how do they make something so simple sound yes. so good? Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. Or, and same with Steve Gadd. So I've tended to gravitate towards yeah. some of these drummers where there's a simplicity about them, um, but there's this mystique that is not notatable. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Now, I probably could dig in a bit more to Phil Collins, you know, um, and his music and analyse it a bit more, but, um, but I just appreciate... And, and respect all that he's the the, the amount of touring that mm. guy has done mm. and, and songs that he's written and played drums on all those albums you know both with Genesis and mm. you know his mm. own material is just phenomenal really it's yeah yeah such, and that there's you know, yes yeah, some serious musicianship there like you yeah. know his ability he's a pretty decent piano player yeah. and keyboard player like and for somebody who hasn't done yeah. any yeah. formal training yeah 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 it's unbelievable yeah you know? and he also i remember talking to um john Tugood was like mm. man that guy's voice is fucking great no yeah. one talks about how he's a seriously oh, seriously yeah. good singer like yeah. he's got a voice like a bell it's just yeah. clear oh, and perfect yeah. yeah incredible yeah so I've always thought, man, wouldn't it be great to play a, a, a tribute band to Phil Collins? Yeah. But um, and then it's like, oh, who would you get to sing? 
Mm. It's not a yeah. bad idea to set you know, that up now, you, you know? know. Like you yeah. could, but yeah, exactly. Yeah. You got to get the. At one point, I did have a a, a Sting tribute band. Yeah, I did, I did a couple of concerts, and the singer, this guy Chris Baum, was a really really good impersonator of of that. He could have done the Phil Collins thing right. as well. I think, yeah, but yeah. We didn't quite get to that. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so yeah, Phil Collins definitely um, an amazing musician that he could play keyboards and sing and, and an amazing drummer mm, too, mm. you know, um, and into all the right sort of stuff. He wasn't, Yeah. you couldn't just say, oh, he's just a rock drummer or something no, like that. No, no, He's got quite a lot of depth. Yeah, a lot of fusion, proggy yeah. sort of stuff. Yeah. Happening. Like, as you say, Brand X is, yeah, yeah. is interesting yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, So, yeah, no, he's, he's another... He's another yes, I, 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 um, I really should have. I mean, I will at some point. I... I should have done an essay on him. You know, he's right. someone that I want to do, like yeah. a drumming-focused yeah. piece on, or or try and do something on RNZ, mm. like we mm. play some of the clips and just talk about him as a drummer. Yeah, I mean, I know other people have done that with yeah. him, but I I would like to do that because yeah. I think mm. taking it away from the idea of him as a big successful musician mm. and as a pop star, yeah, to, and and pulling it back to well, was this guy any good? Did he do anything yeah. good with drums? Yes, he did. You know, yeah. heaps. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and he had a recognisable sound. Yeah, you know, um, yeah. As much as like concert toms kind of went out of fashion, mm, mm. but he he stayed with it. You know, mm, mm. and um, and in a way, some people have come back to that kind of sound as yeah. being a. a an actual sound, you know, that that's still a, a thing, Well, you know? I've heard Questlove talk a couple of times about um, when Phil Collins played on the Jimmy Fallon show, and of course he can't play right. drums anymore, yeah, yeah. and um, and Questlove having to learn the Phil to do yeah, yeah. in the air tonight, yeah, and just yeah. going like, you know, I, I could retire after that, that's my, you know, because <laughs> yeah. like, that's like the coolest thing I'll ever yeah. get to do with the drums, and there's yeah. a guy who's a great player, yeah. uh, and a huge influence on modern drumming, yeah, yeah. Uh, a serious musician mm. who's yeah. met and played with so many people, yeah. and that was his kind of moment of yeah. like, as a drummer, it doesn't get better than playing the yeah. filter um, in the air yeah. with the guy who wrote it, yeah. you know. Yeah. I know, it's incredible, isn't it? Mm. I, I do remember watching Genesis up in up in Auckland it must have been in 1988 or something like that yeah um, wow. and uh, you know Chester Thompson and Phil yeah Collins yeah the double that. drum thing the double drum thing I always thought that that was really cool the way yeah. they did that They're, oh, like composed you know semi-composed like That's nice right. parts to it but yeah you know yeah I was but still but still sort of arranged for a stadium you know like yeah. it's very big obvious stuff yeah yeah for it, as it should be for a stadium exactly you know it had enough um, of the basic, here's the pulse. Yes, but also technical stuff yeah, going yeah. on in there yeah. as well. And you go, yeah. the guy's got chops, and yeah. he's com- they've worked out. Yeah, yeah, this a, is an orchestrated piece. Like yeah. it's actually arranged. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And yeah. I always thought, wow, that's that's. Um, he knows how to connect with everyone on different levels. You know, mm. um, which are often the drum solo thing doesn't connect with. With everyone, it's just like yeah, drum solo, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, we've had a big old drum chat, is yeah. there, which which we've been meaning to do for a while, yeah, yeah. and I've really enjoyed it. Is there yeah. anything that you want to bring up that I haven't mentioned? Oh, gee, I I, I can't think of anything really. It's uh, yeah, thank you for reading my yeah. ebook, by the way. Yeah, That's yeah. Cool. Like, and and I was I, I just like devoured it. And oh, one, cool. And I mean, hit, yeah. I'm thinking of you know yeah. like, like the idea is that maybe I'll do another volume like so mm. there, there'll be more. There's obviously yeah the sky's the limit. There are more names to add. So as yeah. I say, I might go away after this and 
start writing a Phil Collins piece. Yeah. And, you know, I haven't. I'm looking at your wall. Mm. I haven't done. You know, Steve yeah. or Jeff Picaro or El- Elvin Jones. You know, so yeah. so well, many. Pe- yeah. I know. mean, we we kind of. I tell students, look, there's there's only we've only got so much time yeah. to kind of look at, and so I've kind of narrowed it down to like some of the key people that yeah. have influenced. Now, this is a gr- this is a great wall of names. <laughs> these photos. I mean, look out there. How how have we? I mean, he's just staring at us. How have we not named Jack Dejanet? You know, I mean, Jack Dejanet and and we we look at Tony Williams. I was lucky to yeah, see Tony Williams in 1990 amazing. as well. You know, another person that had passed away way yeah. too early, and he has definitely influenced so many oh, people. Yeah, you yeah. know. Um, and he was influenced by people like Billy Cobham and John Bonham, you know. So mm. I'm real interested in how American drummers influenced British drummers who then in turn have influenced American drummers. Mm. Mm. That whole cycle is quite an amazing thing. Yeah, yeah, when yeah, you think, totally. When you think John Bonham was influenced by all these American drummers. Yeah. And then all these American drummers who are saying, ah, oh, John Bonham. <laughs> <laughs> well, John Bonham's a fascinating one, I think, because, yeah. you know, that's why I wanted to write about him, because, you know, y- yes, he's covered, and, you know, mm. he's one of the great rock drummers, mm. but there's a, there's a whole school of people that think, oh, he was fine if you wanted a big, loud, noisy player, and it's mm. like, I think he was really, mm. within that, mm. yeah, it's a bit like Greg Bissnett and that, like, yeah. within that, within that full noise, full yeah. charge, there's chops, there's dynamics, there's mm. actually subtlety too, you know? Well, like, a, he has a lot of vocabulary. Yeah, there that yeah. You can tell he has studied all the the main drummers from that era, mm. uh, the jazz drummers, everything yeah, yeah. from, you know... Buddy, and that, that yeah. lovely lineage of, like, Fall in the Rain is just the Purdy Shuffle. Right. And then Rosanna with Jeff right. Picaro is yeah. just Fall in the Rain. Yeah. You know, filtered through the yeah. Purdy Shuffle. Like, again, that's, that's right. a great example of, like, three completely different drummers yeah. taking elements from yeah. each other and all sounding different. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. Well, we, we look at that, you know, that mm. whole sort of connection of, like, well, there's Bernard Purdy, you mm. know, who... who is the one that kind of developed that, but yes. obviously he he was that was percolating in his style and other kind of shuffles, and then it was Steely Dan that kind of brought it in there, and mm. then you think at the same time you got Bernard that listened to that and mm. Jeff that listened to both of them, yeah, yeah, and then they come yeah. up with that, you know, yeah. Um, so that that's pretty amazing, you know, um, but you can hear so much sort of vocabulary in John Bonham's. Um, solo um, yeah um, yeah he's, he starts off by quoting Max Roach's oh yeah 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 know, um, the drum also so waltzes. waltzes yeah 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 and then he's launching into these Philly Joe Jones kind of yeah chop things you and know? then he plays with his hands and on then the, the hands thing and, the yeah. hands thing comes from Joe Jones and yeah. Joe Morello and yeah. all that sort of stuff and and um, people who don't know that would yeah. just think wow this guy's amazing he's playing with the hands yeah but he he has come from somewhere that's right too. yeah that's yeah. right and that's what i mean i was mm-hmm. i was anyone who thought he was just like a a big pint drinking buff head that yeah was like a a mechanic or a welder behind the drum kit yeah. it's like well yeah there was that there yeah. was that in his personality yeah. but there was all of this ability mm-hmm. and study and passion oh, and yeah. knowledge 
yeah. and and within the heaviness mm. and heavy sometimes heavy handedness there was a subtlety yeah it's definitely dynamic oh, absolutely yeah. yeah i mean and i think that that sort of era of drummers was was kind of like if you wanted to be respected then you you were studying the people of the day that yeah. were seen to be at the top so if that was the 60s yeah the people at the top was like elvin and yeah Tony, yeah yeah and it was still philly joe jones yeah max roach and those well cats, you know? if I mean, even like I'm not. I've never been a big Black Sabbath guy, but mm. Paranoid is a great album, and Bill Ward I think is a great right. drummer. And on that, yeah, he does because it was the thing to do. He does mm. the solo a bit like Moby Dick, right? And his solo is very Max Roach, Elvin Jones. Right. You know, like right. it, suddenly this yeah. metal drummer is yeah. same thing. He's like, then you mm. find out well, he's a jazzer. Like he's right. got he's yeah. a total jazz player. Yeah. And it's nowhere else on that record. Mm. And then you go back to the record and you hear these passages in the middle of songs mm. where, like, there's this great, you know, gu- suddenly mm. the guitar solo actually sounds like a bebop line because of yeah. what the drummer's doing beneath it, you yeah, know? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. So I guess that that's my whole thing here is, is trying to um, show the students of today um, just the connection of the history of the drum set yeah. and... And because um, often I think people would sort of view music, um, you know, of the jazz era as being something that's sort of outdated and not relevant. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. as time has gone by, you can see people drawing upon all of these sort of older influences, mm. whether they're consciously doing it or not, you know. Mm. Mm. Um, it's there's there's a lineage to all of the, the the great players of today and yesterday, you know, that that come back to some of these roots. So, um, I guess that's my thing is like trying to keep the whole sort of um, um, jazz education going, not because that's the end point, but just to show that it is is such a, a relevant part of like becoming a, mm. a, a complete musician. Um, and I think that a lot of young people are kind of get a hint of that. Oh, yeah, I need to go study at the jazz school. I'm not sure why. Yeah. And and so I feel it's my job to kind of like try and connect that to them. Same with um, rudiments. Or people will go, Oh, I've heard you're supposed to learn the rudiments on the drum kit, but they're so boring, and I don't understand why. So I, I'm feel passionate about trying to show students the the relevance of, you know. American style rudiments and how that is kind of the mm. basis it's not obvious from the surface mm. and we've mentioned a number of great drummers who probably never studied anything more than mm. a paradiddle mm. you know <laughs> um, and um, but still play great you mm. know? Um, mm. but then the likes of someone like Steve Gadd whose vocabulary is so evident that he's done drumline kind of yeah drum yeah, yeah stuff totally and has made it cool yeah um so I'm, yeah, I'm sort of. That would be the the thing that I'm sort of most well, passionate about. You know, the school is lucky to have you, and 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 we're lucky to have you because you've got you've done. You know, it's mm. another example. You're a person who's done the work, mm. continuing to do the work. Yeah. It's all yeah. there. Yeah. So that's that's really. I just want to keep on doing that. You know, and trying to foster and you know build up the scene, mm. and trying to find somebody who will be able to take over what I'm doing. You know, yeah, is yeah. really the goal. You know, find the protege. There's been that. some people that have have come close to it, um, to wanting to sort of yeah, you know, continue on with the teaching, but unfortunately, it's sort of teaching 
music is still seen as like, oh, well, that's the thing that you have to do if you can't get a gig. Right, yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. And so I was kind of like wanting to turn that around to like, no, this is the gig. Yeah. And this is an important gig, you know, is teaching drums or music, you know. Mm. Um, and playing music professionally is, is really frosting on the cake now, you know. Yeah, yeah. Sure. If we're trying to train people up to become professional musicians. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But I don't think you can make a living totally uh, just. Now it's all that. a side hustle now, isn't you it? Know? Everything's a side hustle, or has a yeah. or has a side hustle to it. Yeah. I, I, whichever way you, whatever one you place the most value yeah. on. Yeah. Um, it's people are working out how to make things work out of bits and pieces of things. Yeah. Yeah. And once you find the protege here, then you can then you're free to go off and find someone who sounds like Phil Collins yeah. as a singer. <laughs> exactly. And that's the next gig. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I enjoy doing those tribute things, you know, playing different styles of music. But yeah. um, but then at some point it's like, yep, yeah, I feel like I've ticked that box and yeah, it's yeah. time to move on, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs>